0: This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. For those that may be new today, we've been doing a series in the month of February, and we've enjoyed it so much we're actually going to keep going into March. <laughs> um, we're going to do two weeks in March as well. Um, but we've been doing a study on the, um, literally the book of 1 John, which to me is one of the most valuable books in the Bible for anybody that is a new believer. So this is a little hint to those that have been around a little length of time, and somebody just comes to Christ and they ask you, hey, what's a good book to read? 1 John 5 is, or 1 John is really good, and when they are done that, they go to read the Gospel of John. You can't go wrong with those two books. It is an incredible book, and it talks about the lavish love of God. Last week, we we paid particular attention to the lavish love of God for you. And in the second half of chapter 3, God flips the script a little bit. And now He says, I want you to take what I've poured out into your life, and I want you to be a conduit of it and give it away. I want you to love those that are around you, and I want you to lavish that, that incredible love of the Father onto others in your life. He pays particular attention in this book to those that are believers. But I want to say, I think there's enough inferred here that we can say that's to anybody, right? Um, But it is interesting that he places a very particular thought on loving the family of God. Amen? Um, I want to start with a verse that's not in 1 John. Uh, It's a verse I kind of stumbled across, and I just kind of had this cool little thought as I was processing through this verse. It's found in the book of Romans, and for those that don't know much about the Bible, the book of Romans is one of the epistles or one of the books that the Apostle Paul wrote. And he wrote it to the churches or the Christians that were in the churches in Rome. And if you understand the Roman culture at the time, they were against Christianity. As a matter of fact, Nero was famous for putting Christians in the circus, what he called the circus, which was literally a place where Christians went to die um, it wasn 't against him or beyond him to burn Christians at the stake, and these were the people that Paul were writing to at the time. They understood persecution, they understood difficulty, they understood uh, just situations that are probably beyond what we could ever comprehend, living in an incredibly free country like Canada. Unfortunately, I wish I could say that every country in the world is like Canada, but it 's not. And there are countries in the world today that would still operate with some of this pattern of thinking similar to Nero. Um, We know some of them of who they are. But I want to read Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And it has just struck a chord in me all week as I've been preparing. It says this, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Catch this here. God's love is poured in, now He wants us to pour out. God's love is poured in, but He wants us to pour out. There's a couple of things that I noticed when I read this verse that I'd like to pass on to you this morning. Just a couple things that I'll call food for thought. The first thing is this, that the love that is poured in must be from God. This verse very clearly says that the love of God, the love that is lavishly poured in is the love of the Father, the love of God. And so the love that is poured in must be from God. Why? Well, very simple response to that. Because human love is limited. Okay, I'm just I am I am going to go out on a limb here and bet that every single hand is going to go up the moment I ask this question. Are you ready for this one? Has anyone ever been hurt or disappointed by a human being in your life? If so, put up your hand. And all those who didn't are liars and will pray for you after. All right, that's good. The point is this, is that humans have a way of hurting humans. Human love is limited. Human love can disappoint and can be impure. Human love can demand more than we can give. Okay, maybe it's just me. But I've I've had people put expectations on me that I'm like, are you kidding me? I can't do that. Are you kidding me? Can't do it. Jesus can. I can't. Human love is limited. Human love can disappoint. The second thought that I, I saw here is that the love that is poured out only comes from the love that is poured in. So it's where it comes from. I know that's deep for you this morning. It's so deep. I know you're going to, I'm grateful you had your coffee already. But whatever you receive, you give away. You have to understand that if if what you're looking for is human love and human affection, then the only thing you can give out is human love and human affection. But human love and human affection is limited, disappointing, and without hope. So God wants us to be a conduit of His perfect love for imperfect people. That's what it's all about. Okay, Whatever you're looking for from humans is what you give away. But if you look for it from God, the Heavenly Father, the Father who lavishes you with His love, His perfect love, then that is what you become a conduit of. Amen? The third thought I had was this. The love that is poured out, according to this verse, bears fruit to the degree that you're in relationship with the Holy Spirit. To the degree that you're in relationship with the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit telling you to do? How many times have we had the Holy Spirit give us a little nudge, go talk to that person, go pray for that person, go out for coffee with that person, hear their story, and that little nudge dissipates as quickly as it came, right? I know for me, it, I've done it. I've done it where God's prompted me and I've ignored it. It's not good. I don't recommend it because it keeps coming back. It's like the knock that never keeps going away. It's like those kids that just keep knocking on your front door and they never stop and you're about ready to you know, do something crazy. But when we understand these three basic thoughts, we can have perfect love for imperfect people. Say perfect love for imperfect people. How many are imperfect here? Okay. Aren't you grateful for the perfect love of God that is there for you who is imperfect? Amen. Okay, good. Moving right along. So what is the foundation for ministering perfect love to imperfect people? Well, there's two thoughts that I just want to kind of establish as a... Uh, A foundation for everything else I'm going to share this morning. The first thing is this. Understand that everyone is created in God's image. Hmm. Can I say it like this? If we are worthy of God's love, that means everyone is. You can't pick and choose. If we're worthy of God's love, then everybody is worthy of God's love. Why? Because we're His kids. Whether we are actively following Him or ignoring Him, we're still God's kids. And God has a plan and a purpose for every human being on the face of the planet today, including you. And part of that purpose, part of that ministry, is to be a conduit of the perfect love of the Father to imperfect people. That is what God is calling us to do. If you believe that, say amen. Okay, what's the second thought or second foundational kind of key thought that we need to have? What's well, this. Because of sin, we're all unlovable. Let's be real this morning. Can we be real? Because of sin in our lives, we can look rather unlovable to some people. And how many know that God loves to stretch our love walk with people by bringing people that are really unlovable into our lives? And we go, Lord... Please take them away. (laughs) They're driving me crazy. And he goes, hey, I'm perfecting you. (laughs) We're like, can you do it any other way? (laughs) Lord, can you just like zap me and everything's better? No. He said, I prepare people for my people that don't know me by helping them live out community with those that do he says but I don't like some of them that's okay some of them probably don't like you either you say well they, they annoy me they have these traits that annoy me well I have news for you that you probably have some traits that annoy them too so but I'm perfect And I go, look out for the lightning. (laughs) Because it may come. Kidding. All right. Because of sin, we are all really unlovable. This reminds us something very, very important. It keeps us humble. It reminds us of what we've been forgiven from. We've been forgiven much. Christ changed the rules by offering love, grace, and forgiveness when we did not deserve it. I love how Christ changes the rules of the game. He offers it to us so that we can offer it to others. That's the plan and purpose of God for your life. Have, have you ever woke up in the morning and went, God, what is my ministry? What's my call? What am I supposed to do with my life? Right? Have you ever had that thought? I have at times where you just don't know what the plan and purpose of God is for your life. And you're like, God, you know, what is it? Am I, am I, am I, I don't know, what, what am I supposed to do? Well, I have news for you that Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, actually already gave us your ministry call. It's called the ministry of reconciliation. He gave it to all of us. It's the ministry of restoring relationships with those that are unlovable. That's the call of every believer's life, right? That's what we're called to do. All right, so I want to get into the book of 1 John again, chapter 3, but I'm going to start with two verses from the Gospel of John that sets us up for what I'm going to share this morning. It, John 13, 35 in the NLT, which is the New Living Translation. It's, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's John 13, 35. I'm going to say it again. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. No pressure. No pressure. Goes on two chapters later in John 15, verse 12, and it says, this is my commandment. It doesn't say this is my suggestion. I wish some days it was, but he said, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Well, no pressure. I want you to love the person next to you the same way Jesus loves us. How do we do that? Well, are you receiving the love that's being poured in? Because if you are from the Father, then you can pour it out. If you're looking for human affection, and that's what's coming in, then that's the only thing that's being poured out. And the problem with human love is that it will disappoint eventually. Because we disappoint eventually. Okay? It's only a matter of time before we get selfish. Am I the only one here today? We got, Okay, alright, alright, moving right along. So these two verses actually set us up for the entire theme of the second half of the book of 1 John chapter 3. And I want to just start with a couple of core thoughts here. I'm going to start with some keys that you guys can write down. Key number one, we are commanded to love like Jesus. Our vision statement is to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus. We talked in the first two weeks about how to live like Jesus. Now we're talking about how to love like Jesus. And so we're going to give some clues this morning on how we can do that. But 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, it says this. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. That word love there is the word agape, which literally means the God kind of love. Here's what I've realized about the God kind of love in comparison to my own kind of love. That love is not emotion-based. It is a choice. Oftentimes, God will stretch our choices long before our emotions ever catch up. Uh Our love, human love, is usually based upon who we like, who we care for, who we get along with. And God comes and says, I want to put inside your heart the agape love of God, the love that is without condition on those that you don't like, that you don't love that are very unlovable in your sight. In this love, it's a love that simply makes a decision. It's a directive of the will. It's not based on your emotions as we've already shared. In this love, we demonstrate that love with selfless actions. Uh Uh-oh, you said you're stepping on my toes now. Because we can do that, because God's already empowered us to do it, we can do it, we will do it, and we're going to see A city transformed by that kind of love. God's heart for this house is to develop within us a longing and a desire for God's perfect love so that we can be a conduit of that love for imperfect people. That's it. That pretty much wraps up the last ten and a half years in one sentence. Wouldn't you think? That's it. That's what God's doing. That's what He wants from us. I love the passion translation and description of this love. It says this, that we should walk in self-sacrificing love toward one another. Well, that takes it to another level. Self-sacrificing, giving up ourselves, not my will, but your will be done. John the Baptist prayer, Lord, that you would increase, that I would decrease. That's the heart of God. To love like Jesus is impossible unless Jesus actively loves through us. To love like Jesus is impossible unless we become the vessel that pours out what God has poured in. And the moment that that happens, there develops within us this compassion, this well of love that we know is beyond our own ability to love. And we see people and we see situations in a completely different light. From the very first month of this church, I made a declaration in the first month of this church, and I said, guys, The role and the call of this house is to see the seed of greatness in everyone. And if we can't see it, get back in your prayer closet and don't come out until you do. Because if we can't see it, how in the world will they ever believe a God that is not anything that they can touch or feel that He can see it? They have to see something tangible in order to connect to the Father. Let us be that conduit of that kind of love. Amen? There's this incredible phrase in this passage that has really just got me. And key number two is we're commanded to pass from death to life by loving. I want to read this verse to you, and I'm going to explain it. 1 John 3.14 says, If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. This Greek word, passed from, literally means from one place to another, from one location To another. So it's talking about going from the arena of darkness into the arena of light. This is what it's talking about. That we literally, by the things that we do to love people, we are going from death to life, we're going from the arena of darkness to the arena of light. I love what the Passion Translation says of this verse. It says, Yet we can be assured that we've been translated from spiritual death into spiritual life because we love the family of believers. A loveless life remains spiritually dead. In other words, loving like Jesus is actually the proof to the church and to the world that Jesus lives. That's the proof. That's the evidence. What do we do To love those that are imperfect. That's the evidence. Goes on in verse 15 and it says this. Verse 15 actually gives away uh, how we stay in the arena of darkness and get stuck into that pattern. It says this. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. Man, that's really warm and fluffy. Uh, That was a great message for today. Let's just talk about murderous uh, heart activities that are going on and we want to murder people you know, that's a, just a great verse, but it has a great context. It says, and you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. I went and I looked into the original Greek, because this is what the original language was written in. The original Greek, it literally uses the Greek word mizeo, or mizeo. And it literally means to hate, to detest, to love less, and to create distance. That's what this word means. It is where we get the English word misery from which is a constant state of suffering. I have seen this my entire life, both personally in my own life and through others in my dealings with not just church people, but also dealing with social work things and people in general. Is the moment that your heart shuts down to the perfect love of God, misery starts to happen. And it The subtlety of it is that it doesn't become miserable overnight. It's miserable months later or a year or two later. It's misery that is speaking to you, not the perfect love of God. And I feel like some of you are living in that right now. Some of you are at the crossroads of that decision. Either I'm going to continue to live in the fear of my circumstance and not break free of this misery and this miserable life that I've created, or I'm going to have the faith to go God's way and receive the perfect love of the Father, first and foremost, for my own life, so that I can see those other people with a different perspective this morning. Why God does this is because He wants you to see people with His eyes. With His eyes. The problem with this word mizeo or misery or being miserable is for the first little while it's often hidden in your heart. No one sees it but you. It's not till months later where you become so miserable that everyone experiences it every time they see you. But I want to deal with the root issue, just like Jesus did. Jesus actually brought this whole issue up. Matthew chapter 5, and he says this, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry, anyone that has Miseo in their heart, with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Don't let anger, frustration, rejection keep you in the arena of darkness. Look what Jesus tells us to do next. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled. Oh, ministry of reconciliation. To them, restore that relationship, then come and offer your gift. In other other words, fix what stopped up the flow of God's perfect love to begin with. Fix that first. Whatever stopped the flow of God's perfect love into your life. Fix that first so that you'll have the right attitude, the right motivation, the right love to give to those individuals that God places in your life. Now, does that mean that those people have to be your best friend? No. No. God will place people into your inner circle that are life-giving for you, and you will be life-giving for them. But God has a way of bringing people into our lives that just love to chisel off all of the edges from our personality and make us more like Christ. I wish that God could choose any other way to form our character, but He uses people to form our character. (laughs) If it was up to me, I would use a different plan. Just saying. If it was my call... And I could do something different. I would create a drive-through for becoming perfect like Jesus and you just order it and he slaps it on you. You drive through and everything's good. Amen. That would be awesome. And Jesus supersize it, please, so that I don't have to come back, well, at least till tomorrow. Anyhow. But he doesn't do it like that. He chooses people to be the very thing he uses to develop perfect love in your heart. Oh, God, if there was any other way. <laughs> Key number three, we're commanded to lay our lives down for others. Not suggested, we're commanded to lay our lives down for others. First John 3.16, it says, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. The greatest act of love, without a doubt, is the cross. Jesus voluntarily gave up his life. An act of selflessness. An act of self-sacrifice. What a picture. The Message Bible says it like this. This is how we've come to understand and experience love. Christ sacrificed His life for us. This is why we ought to live sacrificially for our fellow believers. And not just be out for ourselves. I want you to notice here, the command here is not for us to die for someone else's sins. Jesus already did that. We don't have to do that. Jesus already took that place for us. But the command shows us the extent of the sacrifice that love demands. I want to share from my own life, just for a second. The most significant moments of Sandra and I's life together has been when we went from love to sacrificial love. The most significant moments of generosity have come when we went beyond what we thought we could do. The most significant moments in our ministerial life is when we had to deal with some very difficult people. And in the midst of that, God absolutely broke us with compassion for that person and for their situation. Those are the moments that stand out for us. When I... Think about the moments over the last 10 and a half years here at this church. They haven't come when everything's been great. Some of the most significant moments for my life as a pastor have come in the difficult moments where God says, love unconditionally, Cameron. (laughs) Lord, I can't. Okay, then just hang out with me long enough so that the love that is being poured in Is the love that you pour out. Because Cameron. I want you to have perfect love. For imperfect people. John 10 verses 17 and 18. In the NIV it says this. The reason my father loves me. Is that I lay down my life. Only to take it up again. No one can take it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. Here's what I've realized with regards to sacrifice. Sacrifice is never forced. Sacrifice is something that we choose. Simply what we choose. And when we do this, we have perfect love for imperfect people. I want you guys to remember that phrase for the rest of your life. That God is asking you to have perfect love for imperfect people. Because that is the call and the mandate of the church. Not just this church, every church. This is the call of the body of Christ. Key number four. We're commanded to love others in practical ways. I love verse 17 in chapter 3. It says this. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how could God's love be in that person? The New King James says they shut up their heart from that person. The common standard Bible says to withhold compassion from that person. They see the need, they recognize the need, and they choose not to do anything about it. They choose to shut their heart, and God says it's not good. The Apostle John says that's not good. It's not a good representation of the body of Christ. What would Christ do? I honestly believe that the moment that that starts to happen consistently in our lives... The perfect love flow into our lives starts to dwindle. And it starts just dripping instead of having a flow. God wants us to experience His perfect love all the time. So John wants to give some clarity to this. He wants to almost start the latest, the newest Nike marketing campaign just to say, just do it. And this is what he says. Verse 18. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Bingo. Bingo. The Passion Translation says it like this, Beloved children, our love cannot be an abstract theory that we only talk about, but a way of life demonstrated through our loving deeds. So how do we do that? Well, there's seven quick things I want to mention, how we can do this. And I'm not actually talking about anything physical here. I'm actually talking about a heart attitude, because if we can deal with our heart attitude, I think we can deal with all the physical stuff. I think that's easy. The First thing is this, honor one another. Honor one another. You know what that word means? To place in high regard. To esteem highly. To treat as precious. Honor each other. Honor each other. Second one is this. Encourage one another. Replace empty words with meaningful words. How many have ever been a part of a church where a lot of empty words are spoken? Whenever you see Christians... I've said this for years, but I encourage you to do this. Never say to someone, I'm going to pray about that. Just stop right there and pray for them. I've lost count how many times. In ch- I've grown up in church. I've been in church since I was a very young little boy. And I've lost count how many times I've, said, I've heard someone say, oh, I'm going to pray for you. Oh, yeah, I'll help you. Oh, I'll do this. And there's nothing that ever comes from that person ever. Can I, can I give you permission to be Jesus in the moment. I saw a very, very powerful moment happen two weeks ago here, and there was somebody who obviously, I don't even know the situation. I still to this day, I don't even know what happened. I have no clue. But I walk out, I was kind of walking out, walking and walking out, and somebody was obviously going through a difficult time, and there was a group of about seven of our people that literally took that person into the, the room next to the kitchen where we have our pre-service prayer and all I heard was them just praying their guts out. The only thing I saw was at the end of it, eight people walked out with all of them wiping away tears from their eyes. I thought, something must have happened. But what they did is they took a moment where they could have just hung out and just could have you know, laughed and carried on in the hallway and there's nothing wrong with that. But they saw a moment and they had to make a choice. Either I can say, hey, I'm going to pray for you or I'm going to pray for you right now. Love and action. Encourage one another. Replace empty words with meaningful words. Amen? I love this word. I actually looked up the word encourage and, and some of the kind of the linguistic um, definitions around it. And I started to realize that encouragement actually has an illustration or a connotation connected to it where you're literally joining somebody on a journey. So instead of just saying, have fun on your journey. Encouragement literally means that you're going to walk side by side on their journey. So don't just speak meaningful words. Go the one step further in relationship and go on the journey with them. Track with them. How's that situation? Don't just hear somebody say something out in the hallway like, yeah, I've been having a difficulty at work. You be the first person on Monday to send them a text and say, hey, I'm praying for you at work this week. And then on Friday, you call them and you say, hey, I just wanted to check in and see how you're doing. been thinking about you all week. And then on Saturday, you take them out for breakfast. And if you feel like doing that with me, you go right ahead. I'm just saying, okay. I prefer Denny's. Anyhow, I'm just saying, okay, all right, moving right along. Um, Number three, share with one another. That sounds so basic. Share with one another. To share is to willingly give what you have to those God is leading you to. Be willing, be honest, be quick to do it. Number four, serve one another. I love this quote by Martin Luther King Jr. He said this, Everyone can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. I love that. Serve. I'm going to put a family on the spot for a second because they're going to throw things at me later and it's all good. But the Evans clan showed up at this church on week one. Week one. I still have no idea why they still love us and put up with us. I have no idea how that happens. But I'm going to tell you from a ten and a half year journey of observing their life, why if they were in a moment of crisis today, I think almost every one of you in this room would be at their door. I'm going to tell you why. Because they've been at your door. When someone needed help moving, guess who was there? When someone needed something fixed, guess who was there? When something needed to be done after service, guess who was there? When something needed to be run to somebody's house, guess who was there? They live a life of servanthood, and guess what happens? God has blessed them with so many people that care about them. It's mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. But their heart behind everything is, we just want to help. We just want to serve. We just want to help. We just want to serve. How can we help? How can we serve? How can we be there for somebody? So I want to encourage you. Sometimes we think of these moments when it comes to perfect love for imperfect people and we think they're these most, either the most difficult things that we ever have to deal with in our life or they're so simple. I want, I want you to know part of being in that place and being a conduit of the perfect love of God is simply saying, God, where's the need and how can I meet it? Some of the most significant moments Sandra and I have had in our lives is simply because something fell in our lap and we either had a choice to say yes or no. And we just love the word yes. We keep saying yes. Give that away. Sounds good. Give that away. Sure. Go help that person. Sure. I don't think anything of it. Why? Because my life's not my own. Our stuff's not our own. Serve one another. Amen? Five. Affirm one another. How many have ever done the five love languages? How many have never heard of the five love languages? Okay, that's good. So the five love languages was written by a man uh, named Gary Chapman, who's a pastor, psychologist. And he wrote about these five different ways that people give or receive love. And one of them is words of affirmation. How many have ever done the test? And that's you. Okay, that's me. I am words of affirmation. I love words of affirmation. They make me feel really good about myself, honey. I just love words of affirmation. Thanks, honey. I'm doing such a good job. Oh, that's awesome. I can keep going. Okay. But I want you to understand that the word affirm is literally in the Greek to declare over someone's life. And I desperately tried to find the Kingston Town Crier this week. I did. But he was doing something for the city today. I was going to have him come to church. And if you've ever heard him, Hear ye, hear ye. You know, he is awesome. He actually won the international awards two years in a row for Best Town Crier. We have the best in Kingston. He's awesome. But I wanted to illustrate a point because this is what someone who affirms someone else does. Hear ye, hear ye. You are awesome. Me? I'm awesome? You are awesome. How cool. That's literally what it means to affirm. It is a declaration about someone's life. I actually shared this on on Friday with one of the interns. But I said, have you ever got these little plant, you know, these little seeds that you get in this little, um, it's like a little folder kind of thing? And on the front of of the little folder where you have all the seeds inside is the picture of what the plant is going to look like after you plant it and put, you know, sunshine, water, the whole nine yards, put it in good soil, all that. That's what it's going to look like. So to affirm is to not see an individual in seed form, but to see an individual in plant form and declare it. But most of what we do is we see the seed form. Oh, you're just so in the mud. You're such a stuck in the mud. But that's what we do. And God is saying to affirm means see the person not in seed form, but see the potential of their life in plant form bearing fruit and call that forth in their life. That is what it means to affirm. Six, bear one one another's burdens. I want to just give clarity to this. It does not say bear one another's baggage. It says bear one another's burdens. I've seen so many people in the church world who are so mercy motivated get burned out continuously because they feel responsible for people's baggage. Nope. You are not asked to carry someone's baggage. You're asked to carry someone's burdens, and burdens and baggage are very different. Okay? That's a good word. Thank you, Pastor. Okay, moving right along. Number seven, and I I saved the best for last, because this is the biggest thing in your life that will stop the perfect love flow in your life. This is it. Unforgiveness. So here's what you need to do. Forgive one another. Forgive one another. How do we know this? Because we've been forgiven much. God says, forgive others. If we've been forgiven much, forgive much of other people. That does not mean don't use wisdom and don't use healthy boundaries and keep walking into situations where you're going to constantly get wounded, hurt, and rejected. That's not what I'm saying. But you, as an act of your will, not on your emotions, but an act of your will, choose to forgive that individual for what they've done and place them in God's hands, not in yours. Because when they're in God's hands, perfect love can flow and heal them and change them. If they're in your hands, human love will disappoint, hurt, and discourage them. One of the biggest breakthroughs I had 20 something years ago was this picture that I had when I was praying for my dad. God just, you know, help dad and God get through to my father and blah, 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 blah. And then he showed me this picture and he says, there's your father over there. And there I am over there. And you're right in between us and you're blocking me from getting him, getting to him. And I was like, oh, it says, And I'm like, God, why? Because your unforgiveness towards your father. It says, deal with it so that I can minister to him. Because as long as you are holding on to that unforgiveness, I cannot get to him. For me, it was a massive, massive revelation of the, of the love of God. Okay? I want to come into a, a, for a landing here. 1 John chapter 3, 23-24, to in the Passion Translation, it says this. So these are his commands. His commands, capital H. That we continually place our trust in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. Keep trusting Him. No matter what person comes along your way, no matter how imperfect they are, how unlovable they are, keep trusting Him. That we keep loving one another just as He commanded us. So don't forget, it's a command. For all who obey what? His commands, not what we feel like, not what we feel like doing, not what we feel like responding to. But when we obey His commands, find their lives joined In union with Him. In other words, there's no blockage. The perfect love of the Father keeps flowing. Nothing's hindering it. And He lives and flourishes in them. Say flourish. That was weak. Say flourish. Flourish. How many hear that word and you go, that's an awesome word. What does it mean? (laughs) Ever had those moments where you read these words and you're like, I have no idea? Well, it literally means this. To grow... Luxuriously. Those that have the, the conduit part right, and there's nothing blocking the perfect love of the Father, are people that constantly see individuals in plant form, not in seed form. And this word flourish literally means that you will grow luxuriously. So not only will you see those people grow luxuriously as you're declaring and affirming, but you do too, as a byproduct. It means to thrive. It means to prosper. It means to be in a constant state of effectiveness. How many want that? It means to be at a height of influence. How many want that? I do. And here's what I want to leave you with this morning. Because here's where the rubber hits the road. You can flourish even when your love to someone else is not received. You can flourish even when the perfect love of the Father towards somebody else is never reciprocated. Because human love is conditional and needs it reciprocated in order for us to give more. But when you're in this free place of loving God and being loved on by God and there's perfect love constantly flowing in, the only thing that we really need to think through is, God, who do you want me to love today? And the moment he says, them, you just do it. It's free. We flourish because of the love that is poured in, not what is poured in from other people. It's what's poured in from God. That's how we flourish. And we continue to flourish when we pour out the Father's love to others. Now, I think there's wisdom in sowing that in good soil. Okay? Allow God's perfect love to flow through you to imperfect people. I want to end with one verse, and here it is. Psalm 52, verse 8. And then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go home and eat lots of food, you know, and be merry, all that stuff. All right. Psalm 52, verse 8, it says this, But I am like a flourishing olive tree, anointed in the house of God. I trust in the unending love of God. His passion toward me is forever and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever. That's his love for you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.